Propaganda, in this sense, serves as a corollary to censorship in which the same purpose is achieved, not by filling people's minds with approved information, but by preventing people from being confronted with opposing points of view. What sets propaganda apart from other forms of advocacy is the willingness of the propagandist to change people's understanding through deception and confusion rather than persuasion and understanding. The leaders of an organization know the information to be one-sided or untrue, but this may not be true for the rank-and-file members who help to disseminate the propaganda. From a series of woodcuts, 1545, usually referred to as the Papst Spotbilder or Papst Spotbilder in German or depictions of the papacy in English, by Lucas Kranich, commissioned by Martin Luther. Title, Kissing the Pope's Feet. German peasants respond to a papal bull of Pope Paul III. Caption reads, Don't frighten us Pope, with your ban, and don't be such a furious man. Otherwise we shall turn around and show you our rears. Religious. Propaganda was often used to influence opinions and beliefs on religious issues, particularly during the split between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant churches. More in line with the religious roots of the term, propaganda is also used widely in the debates about new religious movements, NRMs, both by people who defend them and by people who oppose them. The latter pejoratively call these NRMs cults. Anti-cult activists and Christian counter-cult activists accuse the leaders of what they consider cults of using propaganda extensively to recruit followers and keep them. Some social scientists, such as the late Jeffrey Hatton, and Cessna-affiliated scholars accuse ex-members of cults and the anti-cult movement of making these unusual religious movements look bad without sufficient reasons. Wartime A U.S. Office for War Information poster uses stereotyped imagery to encourage Americans to work hard to contribute to the war effort. Post World War II usage of the word propaganda more typically refers to political or nationalist uses of these techniques or to the promotion of a set of ideas. Propaganda is a powerful weapon in war, it is used to dehumanize and create hatred toward a supposed enemy, either internal or external, by creating a false image in the mind of soldiers and citizens. This can be done by using derogatory or racist terms, example the racist terms Jap and Guk used during World War II and the Vietnam War, respectively, avoiding some words or language or by making allegations of enemy atrocities. Most propaganda efforts in wartime require the home population to feel the enemy has inflicted an injustice, which may be fictitious or may be based on facts, example the sinking of the passenger ship RMS Lusitania by the German Navy in World War I. The home population must also believe that the cause of their nation in the war is just. In NATO doctrine, Propaganda is defined as any information, ideas, doctrines, or special appeals disseminated to influence the opinion, emotions, attitudes, or behavior of any specified group in order to benefit the sponsor either directly or indirectly. Within this perspective, information provided does not need to be necessarily false, but must be instead relevant to specific goals of the actor or system that performs it. Propaganda is also one of the methods used in psychological warfare, which may also involve false flag operations in which the identity of the operatives is depicted as those of an enemy nation, example the Bay of Pigs invasion used CIA planes painted in Cuban Air Force markings. The term propaganda may also refer to false information meant to reinforce the mindsets of people who already believe as the propagandist wishes, example during the First World War, the main purpose of British propaganda was to encourage men join the army, and women to work in the country's industry. The propaganda posters were used, because radios and TVs were not very common at that time. The assumption is that, if people believe something false, they will constantly be assailed by doubts. Since these doubts are unpleasant, see cognitive dissonance, people will be eager to have them extinguished, and are therefore receptive to the reassurances of those in power. For this reason propaganda is often addressed to people who are already sympathetic to the agenda or views being presented. This process of reinforcement uses an individual's predisposition to self-select agreeable information sources as a mechanism for maintaining control over populations. Propaganda may be administered in insidious ways. For instance, disparaging disinformation about the history of certain groups or foreign countries may be encouraged or tolerated in the educational system. Since few people actually double-check what they learn at school, such disinformation will be repeated by journalists as well as parents, thus reinforcing the idea that the disinformation item is really a well-known fact, even though no one repeating the myth is able to point to an authoritative source. The disinformation is then recycled in the media and in the educational system, without the need for direct governmental intervention on the media. Such permeating propaganda may be used for political goals, 
by giving citizens a false impression of the quality or policies of their country, they may be incited to reject certain proposals or certain remarks or ignore the experience of others. In the Soviet Union during the Second World War, the propaganda designed to encourage civilians was controlled by Stalin, who insisted on a heavy-handed style that educated audiences easily saw was inauthentic. On the other hand, the unofficial rumors about German atrocities were well-founded and convincing. LD not due for a national hero so starting in the 1930s all new visual portraits of Stalin were retouched to erase his Georgian facial characteristics and make him a more generalized Soviet hero. Only his eyes and famous mustache remained unaltered. Jaros Medvedev and Roy Medvedev say his majestic new image was devised appropriately to depict the leader of all times and of all peoples. Article 20 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights prohibits any propaganda for war as well as any advocacy of national or religious hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility, or violence by law. Naturally, the common people don't want war, neither in Russia nor in England nor in America, nor for that matter in Germany. That is understood. But, after all, it is the leaders of the country who determine the policy and it is always a simple matter to drag the people along, whether it is a democracy or a fascist dictatorship or a parliament or a communist dictatorship. The people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same way in any country. Hermann Goring Advertising Propaganda shares techniques with advertising and public relations, each of which can be thought of as propaganda that promotes a commercial product or shapes the perception of an organization, person, or brand. World War I Propaganda Poster for Enlistment in the U.S. Army Journalistic theory generally holds that news items should be objective, giving the reader an accurate background and analysis of the subject at hand. On the other hand, advertisements evolved from the traditional commercial advertisements to include also a new type in the form of paid articles or broadcasts disguised as news. These generally present an issue in a very subjective and often misleading light, primarily meant to persuade rather than inform. Normally they use only subtle propaganda techniques and not the more obvious ones used in traditional commercial advertisements. If the reader believes that a paid advertisement is in fact a news item, the message the advertiser is trying to communicate will be more easily believed or internalized. Such advertisements are considered obvious examples of covered propaganda because they take on the appearance of objective information rather than the appearance of propaganda, which is misleading. Federal law specifically mandates that any advertisement appearing in the format of a news item must state that the item is in fact a paid advertisement. Politics Edit Propaganda has become more common in political contexts, in particular to refer to certain efforts sponsored by governments, political groups, but also often covered interests. In the early 20th century, propaganda was exemplified in the form of party slogans. Propaganda also has much in common with public information campaigns by governments, which are intended to encourage or discourage certain forms of behavior, such as wearing seat belts, not smoking, not littering and so forth. Again, the emphasis is more political in propaganda. Propaganda can take the form of leaflets, posters, TV, and radio broadcasts and can also extend to any other medium. In the case of the United States, there is also an important legal, imposed by law, distinction between advertising, a type of overt propaganda, and what the Government Accountability Office, GAO, an arm of the United States Congress, refers to as covered propaganda. Roderick Hindery argues 45-46 that propaganda exists on the political left and right and in mainstream centrist parties. Hindery further argues that debates about most social issues can be productively revisited in the context of asking what is or is not propaganda. Not to be overlooked is the link between propaganda, indoctrination, and terrorism slash counterterrorism. He argues that threats to destroy are often as socially disruptive as physical devastation itself. Anti-communist propaganda in a 1947 comic book published by the Catechetical Guild Educational Society warning of the dangers of a communist takeover. Since 9-11 and the appearance of greater media fluidity, propaganda institutions, practices, and legal frameworks have been evolving in the U.S. and Britain. Bryant shows how this included expansion and integration of the apparatus cross-government and details attempts to coordinate the forms of propaganda for foreign and domestic audiences, with new efforts in strategic communication 47 these were subject to contestation within the U.S. government, resisted by Pentagon public affairs and critiqued by some scholars. The National Defense Authorization Act for Fiscal Year 2013, Section 1078, A, 
amended the U.S. Information and Educational Exchange Act of 1948, popularly referred to as the Smith-Mundt Act, and the Foreign Relations Authorization Act of 1987, allowing for materials produced by the State Department and the Broadcasting Board of Governors, BBG, to be released within U.S. borders for the Archivist of the United States. The Smith-Mundt Act, as amended, provided that the Secretary and the Broadcasting Board of Governors shall make available to the Archivist of the United States, for domestic distribution, motion pictures, films, videotapes, and other material 12 years after the initial dissemination of the material abroad, nothing in this section shall be construed to prohibit the Department of State or the Broadcasting Board of Governors from engaging in any medium or form of communication, either directly or indirectly, because a United States domestic audience is or may be thereby exposed to program material, or based on a presumption of such exposure. Public concerns were raised upon passage due to the relaxation of prohibitions of domestic propaganda in the United States. In the wake of this, the Internet has become a prolific method of distributing political propaganda, benefiting from an evolution in coding called bots. Software agents or bots can be used for many things, including populating social media with automated messages and posts with a range of sophistication. During the 2016 U.S. election a cyber strategy was implemented using bots to direct U.S. voters to Russian political news and information sources, and to spread politically motivated rumors and false news stories. At this point it is considered commonplace contemporary political strategy around the world to implement bots in achieving political goals. Techniques Anti-capitalist propaganda Common media for transmitting propaganda messages include news reports, government reports, historical revision, junk science, books, leaflets, movies, radio, television, and posters. Some propaganda campaigns follow a strategic transmission pattern to indoctrinate the target group. This may begin with a simple transmission, such as a leaflet or advertisement dropped from a plane or an advertisement. Generally these messages will contain directions on how to obtain more information, via a website, hotline, radio program, etc., as it is seen also for selling purposes among other goals. The strategy intends to initiate the individual from information recipient to information seeker through reinforcement, and then from information seeker to opinion leader through indoctrination. A number of techniques based in social psychological research are used to generate propaganda. Many of these same techniques can be found under logical fallacies, since propagandists use arguments that, while sometimes convincing, are not necessarily valid. Some time has been spent analyzing the means by which the propaganda messages are transmitted. That work is important but it is clear that information dissemination strategies become propaganda strategies only when coupled with propagandistic messages. Identifying these messages is a necessary prerequisite to study the methods by which those messages are spread. Propaganda can also be turned on its makers. For example postage stamps have frequently been tools for government advertising, such as North Korea's extensive issues. The presence of Stalin on numerous Soviet stamps is another example. During the Third Reich Hitler frequently appeared on postage stamps in Germany and some of the occupied nations. A British program to parody these, and other Nazi-inspired stamps, involved air-dropping them into Germany on letters containing anti-Nazi literature. Models Social Psychology Public reading of the anti-Semitic newspaper Der Sturmer, Worms, Germany, 1935 the field of social psychology includes the study of persuasion. Social psychologists can be sociologists or psychologists. The field includes many theories and approaches to understanding persuasion. For example, communication theory points out that people can be persuaded by the communicator's credibility, expertise, trustworthiness, and attractiveness. The elaboration likelihood model as well as heuristic models of persuasion suggest that a number of factors, example the degree of interest of the recipient of the communication, influence the degree to which people allow superficial factors to persuade them. Nobel Prize, winning psychologist Herbert A. Simon won the Nobel Prize for his theory that people are cognitive misers. That is, in a society of mass information, people are forced to make decisions quickly and often superficially, as opposed to logically. According to William W. Biddle's 1931 article A Psychological Definition of Propaganda, he four principles followed in propaganda are, 1. Rely on emotions, never argue, 2. Cast propaganda into the pattern of we versus an enemy, 3. Reach groups as well as individuals, 4. Hide the propagandist as much as possible. Herman and Chomsky Early 20th century depiction of a European anarchist attempting to destroy the Statue of Liberty. 
The propaganda model is a theory advanced by Edward S. Herman and Noam Chomsky which argues systemic biases exist in the mass media and seeks to explain them in terms of structural economic causes. The 20th century has been characterized by three developments of great political importance, the growth of democracy, the growth of corporate power, and the growth of corporate propaganda as a means of protecting corporate power against democracy. First presented in their book Manufacturing Consent, The Political Economy of the Mass Media, 1988, the propaganda model views the private media as businesses selling a product, readers and audiences, rather than news, to other businesses, advertisers, and relying primarily on government and corporate information and propaganda. The theory postulates five general classes of filters that determine the type of news that is presented in news media, ownership of the medium, the medium's funding, sourcing of the news, flak, and anti-communist ideology. The first three, ownership, funding, and sourcing, are generally regarded by the authors as being the most important. Although the model was based mainly on the characterization of United States media, Chomsky and Herman believe the theory is equally applicable to any country that shares the basic economic structure and organizing principles the model postulates as the cause of media bias. Self-propaganda Self-propaganda is a form of propaganda that refers to the act of an individual convincing themselves of something, no matter how irrational that idea may be. Self-propaganda makes it easier for individuals to justify their own actions as well as the actions of others. Self-propaganda works oftentimes to lessen the cognitive dissonance felt by individuals when their personal actions or the actions of their government do not line up with their moral beliefs. Self-propaganda is a type of self-deception. Self-propaganda can have a negative impact on those who perpetuate the beliefs created by using self-propaganda. Children a 1938 propaganda of the new state depicting Brazilian President Getulio Vargas flanked by children. The text on the bottom right of this poster translates as, Children. Learning, at home and in school, the cult of the fatherland, you will bring all chances of success to life. Only love builds and, strongly loving Brazil, you will lead it to the greatest of destinies among nations, fulfilling the desires of exaltation nestled in every Brazilian heart. Poster promoting the Nicaraguan Sandinistas. The text reads, Sandinista children, Tono, Delia, and Rodolfo are in the association of Sandinista children. Sandinista children use a neckerchief. They participate in the revolution and are very studious. Of all the potential targets for propaganda, children are the most vulnerable because they are the least prepared with the critical reasoning and contextual comprehension they need to determine whether a message is propaganda or not. The attention children give their environment during development, due to the process of developing their understanding of the world, causes them to absorb propaganda indiscriminately. Also, children are highly imitative, studies by Albert Bandura, Dorothea Ross, and Sheila A. Ross in the 1960s indicated that, to a degree, socialization, formal education, and standardized television programming can be seen as using propaganda for the purpose of indoctrination. The use of propaganda in schools was highly prevalent during the 1930s and 1940s in Germany in the form of the Hitler Youth. John Taylor Gatto asserts that modern schooling in the USA is designed to dumb us down in order to turn children into material suitable to work in factories. This ties into the Herman and Chomsky thesis of rise of corporate power, and its use in creating educational systems which serve its purposes against those of democracy. Anti-Semitic Propaganda for Children In Nazi Germany, the education system was thoroughly co-opted to indoctrinate the German youth with anti-Semitic ideology. From the 1920s on, the Nazi party targeted German youth as one of their special audience for its propaganda messages. Schools and texts mirrored what the Nazis aimed of instilling in German youth through the utilization and promotion of racial theory. A key in the rise of anti-Semitic propaganda for children was influenced by Julius Stryker, the editor of Der Sturmer, the Stormtrooper, and head of a publishing house used to disseminate anti-Semitic propaganda throughout the Hitler years. This was accomplished through the National Socialist Teachers League, of which 97% of all German teachers were members in 1937. The League encouraged the teaching of racial theory. Picture books for children such as Trust No Fox on His Green Heath and No Jew on His Oath, Der Giftbilz, translated into English as The Poisonous Mushroom, and The Poodle Pug Dachshund Pincher were widely circulated, over 100,000 copies of Trust No Fox, were circulated during the late 1930s, and contained depictions of Jews as devils, child molesters, and other morally charged figures. Slogans such as Judas the Jew betrayed Jesus the German to the Jews were recited in class. During the Nuremberg trial, trust no fox on his green heath and no Jew on his oath, 
and her gift belts were received as documents in evidence because they document the practices of the Nazis. The following is an example of a propagandistic math problem recommended by the National Socialist Essence of Education. The Jews are aliens in Germany in 1933 there were 66,606,000 inhabitants in the German Reich, of whom 499,682.75% were Jews. And lastly, let's take a look at an proponent of propaganda. Everett Dean Martin Everett Dean Martin July 5, 1880 to May 10, 1941 was an American minister, writer, journalist, instructor, lecturer, social psychologist, social philosopher, and an advocate of adult education. He was an instructor and lecturer at the New School for Social Research in New York City from 1921 to 1929, and served on the board of directors of the New School from 1925 to 1932. He was the final director of the People's Institute Three of Cooper Union in New York City from 1922 to 1934. Martin was born in Jacksonville, Illinois on July 5, 1880. Graduating with honors at the age of 24 from Illinois College in Jacksonville, he moved on to Chicago, attending McCormick Theological Seminary from 1904 until his ordination as a congregational minister in 1907. Martin received a Lit.D. Doctor of Letters, degree from Illinois College in 1907. He was best known for his advocacy of the liberal education of adults, which he saw as an antidote to both the irrationality of the crowd and the power of propaganda. Personal Life In 1907, he married Esther W. Kirk of Jacksonville, Illinois. They had three children, Mary, Margaret, and Elizabeth. From 1906 to 1908, Martin was pastor of the First Congregational Church, now called the First Church of Lombard, of Lombard, Illinois. From 1908 to 1911, Martin was pastor of the People's Church in Dixon, Illinois. Martin was minister of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines, Iowa, 1911-1915. Martin was a featured columnist for the Des Moines Register during the years 1914-1915. In 1915, his successful life took a radical shift in course. He divorced his wife of eight years and left the professional ministry. He moved to New York and began writing for the New York Globe over the next 20 years, Martin developed into a successful writer and forged a national reputation as a charismatic public lecturer, often attracting a crowd of a thousand or more at the People's Institute, a major center for adult education in New York City. Martin's second marriage in 1915 to Persis Eastman Rowell also ended in divorce, they had one son, Everett Eastman. Commentary on the Early 20th Century In The Behavior of Crowds, 1920, his first nationally reviewed book, he posed what he saw as the dilemma of the modern age, a technological information revolution that made it possible, in the absence of an adequate educational system, to influence ignorant men and women with propaganda and half-truths. Unscrupulous demagogues, corrupt politicians, manipulative advertisers, and revolutionary ideologues found ready-made audiences when they appealed to the baser, a subconscious urge, behavior, or intuition directed by primeval, animalistic, self-serving, and slash or ignoble motivations, instincts. Martin was a classical, individualistic liberal, in the tradition of the Renaissance humanists and the authors of the Federalist Papers. He believed in restrained government and in the self-selection of intellectually promising students through appropriate programs of adult education. His most famous and widely read work, The Meaning of a Liberal Education, appeared in 1926, the same year he helped found the American Association for Adult Education 18 when his book, The Meaning of a Liberal Education was released in 1926, Frederick Paul Keppel, the president of the Carnegie Corporation proclaimed it as the most important contribution to the understanding of adult education, this far in the United States. 19 In March 1928, John Dewey responded to a request from Marie Mattingly Meloni, editor of the New York Herald Tribune Sunday Magazine, and offered his recommendations on recently published texts on education. Dewey wrote, I think the best educational books of recent publication are, Martin, The Meaning of a Liberal Education. This was not the first time Dewey recommended Everett Dean Martin's book. In 1927, the editors of the Journal of the National Education Association approached Dewey and asked, What book have you recently found especially worthwhile? Something that you have read easily, eagerly, and with profit, either in the field of education or out of it. Dewey identified two books, one of them was Martin's The Meaning of a Liberal Education. Appointments From 1919 to 1922, Martin served as chairman of the National Board of Review of Motion Pictures. 
Martin was an instructor and lecturer at the New School for Social Research in New York City from 1921 to 1929, and served on the board of directors of the New School from 1925 to 1932. He taught classes in sociology, psychology, social behavior, and adult education. At the New School, Martin taught alongside other prominent intellectuals of the day including, Alfred Adler, Norman Angel, Harry Elmer Barnes, Charles Austin Beard, Edwin Grant Conklin, Herbert J. Davenport, John Dewey, Lawrence K. Frank, Felix Frankfurter, Alexander Goldenweiser, Joseph Jastrow, Alvin Saunders Johnson, Horace Collin, Alfred Kramborg, Edward C. Lindemann, Walter Lippmann, Frederick Macaulay, Wesley Clare Mitchell, Gorham Munson, Moise Joseph Algen, Harry Allen Overstreet, James Harvey Robinson, Mark Van Doren, Dorstein Veblen, and Leo Wallman. Among the courses Martin taught at the New School between 1921 and 1929 were, Introduction to Social Psychology, Fundamental Problems in Adult Education, The Process of Adult Learning, Psychology and the Problems of Social Behavior, Some Applications of Social Psychology, Studies on Social Behavior, and Psychological Problems of Social Reconstruction. An example of Martin's lecture topics in from a 1925 course on social philosophy taught at the New School include, The Psychology of the Crowd, the so-called group mind, as man a social or herd instinct, the psychology of mass appeal, leadership in the crowd, reform legislation, the present industrial transition. Why is this seminal individual virtually ignored amidst the ranks of the founders of the adult education movement? Apparently Martin's wholehearted commitment to liberal education has placed him in juxtaposition with the early proponents of practical education in the eyes of contemporary scholars. Here is an individual virtually dismissed not only in the history of adult education, but also in the contemporary exploration of adult education. Among those recruited to the programs of the People's Institute 29 of Cooper Union during Martin's tenure as director, 1926-1934, had been Mortimer Adler, Scott Buchanan, Will Durant, Clifton Fadiman, and Hilda Worthington-Smith, all soon to surpass Martin in fame and influence. Yet, in his heyday, Martin was regarded as one of the leading figures in adult education in the United States. Morse A. Cartwright, who was the executive director of the American Association for Adult Education from its founding in 1926 to its ultimate dissolution and transformation in 1949, considered Martin to be the spiritual father of the association in particular and of the entire movement in general. Cartwright went on to say in his eulogy for Martin, published in the Journal of Adult Education, that Thousands who had heard him lecture in all parts of the United States, more thousands who had read his numerous books and articles on philosophical and psychological subjects, and the large audience which for years listened to his notable Friday night addresses and discussions in the Great Hall of Cooper Union in New York, all attested to the challenging qualities of his mind and heart. In 1934 Martin was asked to direct the Department of Social Philosophy at the Cooper Union in New York through a $15,000 per year grant from the Carnegie Corporation through his longtime friend Frederick Paul Keppel. Martin remained in this position until 1936 when he accepted an opportunity to move to California and direct an experimental program in teaching at Claremont Colleges. Martin was a professor of social psychology at Scripps College in Claremont, California from 1936 up until his death in 1941. Death Martin died on May 10, 1941 of a heart attack in Claremont, California at the age of 60. Martin's third wife, Daphne Crane Drake, whom he married in 1931, survived him. Mrs. Everett Dean Martin, Daphne Crane Drake, was a former president of the Child Study Association of America, 1934. All right, Dave, what y'all think about that? That boy, Edward Bernay, was a bad boy, won't you? Now, let me tell y'all something. Y'all need to go back and listen to that thing again. You need to go back and listen to it slow and listen to what, how these people do, y'all. Even, even my man, Ivy Lee, but the most thing about propaganda, can you believe how Edward Bernay started a whole war because of bananas? Because a company wanted, 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 wanted the lower the cost of bananas, stop you from buying bananas from another country so you can buy bananas from them. This guy was a bad dude. Like breakfast, you think breakfast, y'all think breakfast is, oh, breakfast. Breakfast was something that was started by Edward Bernay. To make you buy more bacon. Ain't no such thing as you got to have bricks of food. Then you got to have evening food. Then you got to have dinner food. Ain't no such thing as that. This, this is something that was created by Edward Bernay. Y'all heard the thing. 
And, and, and today you get intelligent people to say you got to have three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And here's here's the thing: it, bacon, <coughs> bacon is for <coughs> excuse me, bacon is for uh, breakfast. And then you have your little eggs. And then you have all this kind of stuff. And even restaurants got you on that thing. That's propaganda. Ain't no such thing as no breakfast, lunch, and no dinner. You eat what you want to eat when you get hungry. But these people put this stuff in place to sell you more stuff. And y'all don't even know where it came from. This came from Edward Bernay. All the propaganda out there, these people tell you, tell you things, right? To make you do what they want you to do because of some corporate interest or some government interest. It happens every day. You know, Ivan Lee, what did Ivan Lee do? At, at your job, if you, if, you got, if, you, if you got a decent kind of job, they print newsletters out, right? Or even on your job, they got TV screens now. They're telling you things on these TV screens. That's propaganda. These newsletters, I like my company, they send these newsletters out telling you different things. That's propaganda. They're telling you what they want you to know. They, they're not doing that because it's, a, it's for your best interest. And now you have these robots, these bots, these robots and these spiders on these internets. They, 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 they can print fake stories and make you believe all these things on these fake stories because we're not intelligent enough to know our history. We're not intelligent enough to know the background about what's going on out here. Now, I'm going to tell y'all what's going on with this corona thing, right? Now, this is just my opinion, what's going on with this corona thing. Let me tell y'all something. You need to slow the economy down. The IMF, International Mutual Fund Organization, and uh, the Federal Reserve, right? They can't raise interest rate. You have to slow the economy down. You can't have continuous growth. When you have continuous growth, you definitely will have inflation and the bottom going to drop off at some point. Now, like if y'all go back and y'all listen to my, my little one little podcast, I told y'all about cheap money. How cheap money, how, how, how business people are borrowing, these cheap, borrowing this cheap money, and then they going out and they buying stuff with it, and they paying, they, they, they paying the bankers back 0% interest, but then they charge the interest when they sell their product. It's free money for them. They have to slow the economy down. Because one thing they know, the bankers know that the, and the IMF, they know and, and are... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, I know I got my little cough, but I ain't got corona now. What the bankers know is that, like Goldman Sachs, these people know that they cannot raise interest rates. If you raise interest rates, what's going to happen? These, 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 these people that's been borrowing money, they're going to default on their debts. These people that's been borrowing money, right, they're going to stop building, right? They're, they're going to they're stop the economy just to show the bankers a lesson. You raise these interest rate, interest rate because we didn't got so used to this cheap money. You raise these interest rates, you know what we gonna do? We just gonna stop building. We 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 just gonna shut the economy down. We love zero percent interest. We love cheap money. Y'all done got us addicted to this cheap money. So if you raise these interest rate on us, this is what we gonna do. We gonna slow your economy down, almost like in nineteen what was it nineteen thirteen when the Federal Reserve what was going on back then. When, when the bankers refused to loan money, it wasn't about that back then and there was a shortage of anything. What it was, was we need to show these people what we, we need a federal, we need a central bank. We need to show these folks, right, who's king, who's boss. They won't do what we want to do, so we're going to stop loaning, we're going to stop loaning the country money. And that's, and, and that's how you got the Federal Reserve and that was part of the Great Depression also. So what's going on now is that I'm telling y'all is that this coronavirus was very instrumental, or this coronavirus scare was very instrumental, very instrumental, because, and then with all the propaganda surrounding this, you put these fear in people, Edward Bernay was the king of that, you put fear in people, people will conform, you put fear in people, people will give up their freedom if you put fear in them. So they put this coronavirus out here to slow these economies down because they couldn't raise interest rates. You get what I'm saying? We can't raise the interest rate, but we need to slow the economy down. So we have to use our tools, which is propaganda, which is the media, 
which is all these social media things, right? A few people catch a little virus and everybody want to go crazy and shut everything down. This is the most crazy. How many people catch the flu each year? Just like I'm coughing. It happens. My father-in-law was 94 years old. He went to Walgreens and got a shot. A month later, he was dead. He was healthy as I don't know what before he went and got that shot. But the people at Walgreens convinced him to get a seasonal shot. Right? And he got that shot. And a few minutes, months later, he, he died. I remember, the, I remember the day he came home and I looked at Dad. I said, Dad, what's wrong with you? You all weak. He said, well, I got a shot at Walgreens. I said, Dad, why you get a shot at Walgreens? You, you, shouldn't, you, you don't need a flu shot. Well, the lady said, you know, I need a flu shot. He's 94 years old. He got a shot because the lady was pretty. And I remember vividly, like yesterday, him sitting in that chair. And from that day on, his health went down when he got that flu shot. It wasn't the coronavirus. This is what I'm talking about was in 2015. I mean, actually 2014. There wasn't no coronavirus. But they propagate you with all this fear. And they use their propaganda, their media machine, whichever ever Bernay taught them, and I really taught them how to propagate this mess. But they're doing it to slow the economy down. What better way to slow the economy down if you can't raise the interest rate? Because you know what? Businesses ain't going to, businesses, um, investors ain't going to walk back. Because see, this is a medical issue now. Right? This is a medical issue now. So they can't walk back. You can't tell them that we're doing it. You can't, like I said, because you can't raise interest rates. But you got to slow the economy down. And this is the perfect way to slow the economy down. And then how do you know what's going on in China? How you know how many people died in, in some province in China? China don't tell nobody nothing. Don't nothing, no information get out of China. Right? Or, or these other little countries. Don't know the information get out of these countries that talking about this, this, this corona thing came from. Don't know the information get out. But it's a good excuse to slow these economies down. You can't have continuous growth. It's, I think it's beautiful. I think it's marvelous. <clears throat> I think it's a marvelous plan to slow the economy down by using a, 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 a pandemic. If you want to know what a pandemic is, go back to the pandemic from now, was it 1919, 1920 pandemic? An epidemic pan, pandemic? When the soldiers came home from the war, spread that stuff over here, people were dying left and right. When you get in the pandemic, I've never heard nothing called a pandemic and you only got four or five people in your country that died or, or, or got sick from it. Maybe nobody died. These people came down with it, and you call it a pandemic. Think about this thing. How is somebody calling something a pandemic when in your country you probably you, you probably don't have no more than about a hundred cases and nobody died? But you call it a pandemic. If that's not a clue for you people out there that the process the Edward Bernay put in process is being worked on you for a reason. So they got everybody looking at the corona thing. But then, uh, and then they say, well, the economy is going to suffer because people are not going to buy, people are not going to do anything. People got to say, it's a purpose. It's to slow the economy down. That's all this is. This is a slow the economy down. All right, there, you investors, y'all not going to let us. And then the government's in the country. Trump would not let the Federal Reserve raise a tax, or, or, or raise interest rates. The Federal Reserve wanted to raise interest rate, I think, to about 4%, 3 or 4%, in order to slow the economy down. Trump got on them about that. So they gave in, and they kept it at zero. Right? They kept it at zero. Now, Trump, a businessman, he's trying to make money. He kept, he, he's strong on the Federal Reserve to keep it at zero. So this is the Federal Reserve way is okay. We have, like I tell people, that's why I like stuff like Federal Reserve. People going to take care of people. An uh, entity is going to look out for its own lifeline. So my thinking is this is, uh, this is what the International Mutual Fund Organization and these bankers, this is what was put in place to slow these economies down. Because it's not just, it's, it's almost putting a stop to the United States. I ain't never seen no stuff like this. Even when I go back and look through history, I've never seen anything. Even the pandemic in 1919 did not slow the economy down like this. 
They had hundreds of thousands of their people was dropping down like flies. They didn't have the medical technology that we have. And plus, we knew about this coronavirus. They look on the back of a Lysol can. It's on the back of a Lysol can. Lysol ain't just come out yesterday. But we look at this thing here and, and, and we think, oh man, this, this ain't nothing new. These folks know about this thing. And then they say, well, you know, uh, it was, it was, uh, uh, America wasn't a pair. You know, and then here's another thing. A lot of things that we've been buying overseas and now a situation like this, when the economy gets like this and now we think, oh, well, we can't get it because it's made in China and no China stuff can get over here. How do we know that this is not part of this little trade war that America and China got going on? Put this corona scare and all these many people died in China and all that kind of stuff so everybody in all these other countries slow down and buy Chinese goods. How you know that's not it? Y'all see what I'm saying? You got the economy slowing down. You got, okay, we need to, okay, if America can't buy from China, then we got to put something in place where the rest of the world will get scared and they won't buy any Chinese goods. Then that'll shut China down. That'll strong arm the thing. See, y'all got to think about this. I'm not saying that this is what's going on. I'm just saying that my brother always told me, whenever they promote something, and it's bad, you better look and see, and it's to your right, you better look to your left. Because that's what's really going on there that I want you to look at. So, like I say, I don't know what's going on, but it, but I, what I think going on is, I think that they're trying to slow the economy down, and I also think that they want people to stop buying stuff from China. Right? To teach China lesson. And I don't personally, my personal thought on that is that in your country, you should have manufactured. It's like here in the United States, people buying toilet paper left and right because toilet paper comes from China. You mean tell me in the United States, we don't make toilet paper no more? And, and, and it costs too much money to tool up a, a factory to make toilet paper? I don't understand this. Why do we need toilet paper anyway? Get your toilet paper, get your bidet. If you ain't got a bidet in your house, get your little water bottle, and when you go to the bathroom and you do your number two, spray your butt down with, 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 with that doggone water bottle. It's just like a debate shooting water up your butt. Why do we need toilet paper anyway? I mean, this give this give our, of the United States, our country, a chance to say, okay, do, do, do we really want to be materialistically dependent on another country because situations like this can occur? Okay, or is there other technology out here that that that, uh, that we can utilize to keep from being in this position sometime in the future? Now, let me tell you something: people never learn anything. Just like two thousand eight, we went to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, right? We never learn anything because as soon as everything get back to normal again, we all happy and everything fine. We don't think about the bad time that we just went through. You see what I'm saying? My brother always told me. Peacetime, it's not the absence of war, it's the time when you prepare for war. See what I'm saying? That's why countries build bombs during peacetime. Not to use them, but if there's a war, they are available. That's why people have guns. Not to use them, but they are available if I need them. See? But we are being, and, and this internet thing, the internet is a marvelous thing. I love the internet, because I wouldn't be talking to you now. Excuse me, the internet. But think about the internet. This internet is the ultimate tool. Just like the, pen, just like the print press. When the print press came in, it was the ultimate tool. Then when radio came in, it was the ultimate tool. And then when television came in, it was the ultimate tool. Now what this internet thing is, it's the ultimate, ultimate tool. To propagate whatever message that you want to sway the people with. Anything. Like I told y'all, Edward Bernay got people eating, buying bacon, thinking bacon is a bacon, uh, a breakfast food. He, he went there and found, I found 500, 400 something. Doctors that had them uh, writing little articles and now the whole country, oh, we got to have, oh, we got to eat bacon. Bacon is eggs. Bacon is a, 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 a Bacon, eggs, toast, that's breakfast food. Who said that breakfast food? I mean, I told somebody that one time. They said, oh no, that's, that's not breakfast food. Who told you this is not breakfast food? This ain't breakfast food. Breakfast food is anything you got in your fridge there you want to get up and eat. That's breakfast food. You want to get up there and eat some cake. That's breakfast food. 
See, this is the thing that this is the thing that I look at. My, my, my computer, okay, my computer kind of shut off. See, this thing I look at, a lot of things that we do, like car commercials, right? This car better than that car, or with a new fashion, each year, fashion. It's like banging on Edward Bernay, women smoking cigarettes. You know, the campaign, and Edward Bernay didn't even, he didn't even, he didn't even want his wife smoking cigarettes, but yet he, <coughs> his biggest campaign was, uh, promoting women, getting women up to smoke cigarettes so cigarette companies can buy more cigarettes. Listen to that thing on Edward Burnett. Y'all need to listen real and y'all understand everything that's going on today. When people tell you look right, you better leave, you better also be looking left. Look right. See what's going on right. But, you, but your, t- your, your focus better be left, front, and behind you because right is a distraction. I was watching that, that uh, uh, movie one time, Jurassic Park. And they had these things. I don't know what the thing was. Tyrannosauruses or whatever it is. They kind of run in packs, right? And they say whenever you see one, there's another one somewhere. So one would distract you, right, on Jurassic Park. I think it was like on the mountain. Was it maybe Jurassic Park 2 or something? One would distract you. You put you looking at him. But then there's another one coming up behind you. And see, wolves are like that too. Wolves like that. That's a wolves hugging pack. Whenever you see one wolf, you can bet your bottom dollar that there's one or two more wolves somewhere watching you. Because that's how they roll. One distract you or look at you, and then there's two or three stalking you. So when you see one, there's no. And that's how it is with this information. They have you looking one way, but they're doing something in the back. Now, like I said again, my thing of it is they need to slow the economy down. This corona thing here. You know, this is just my opinion now. Y'all do what y'all want to do, just my opinion. This ain't no epidemic. This is this is a propaganda distraction war that's going on. My figuring is going on because they want to slow the economy down, or they want to get everybody to stop buying stuff from China to teach China a lesson. That's just my opinion. I don't know. But there's a whole lot of propaganda going on. Ain't no thousand people dying in America. Ain't no thousand people going to to, uh, to the doctor. And then and and uh, and and, and uh, they told me if you go to the doctor and you try to get tested for the coronavirus, they charge you three thousand dollars. How the hell a coronavirus test is three thousand dollars? If you got a uh, pandemic going on in your country, you will be testing your citizens for free, for free, and sending the bill to the government. But you know what? You go to the doctor and you got Medicare and, and you get tested. When they send the, send the bill to the government, they double charging the government. So everybody making money. Insurance company making, making money off this little pandemic thing. People people filling up the grocery. You can't walk through the store to the grocery aisle in the grocery store. You buying up all the groceries. Like, 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 you know, it was out and they told me, well, people buying the groceries because that's, you know, less time they got to spend coming out of their house. So you're just going to sit in your house and eat your damn self to death. And gain weight, and 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 and, and then have to have to, have to go see the doctor because your cholesterol, your blood pressure, pressure level is so high, and because you've been sitting around because of coronavirus, eat all damn day. I don't understand it. It, it, it. People, people are so misled because of information. Information is king, and this was it. And it was Bernays. That's why he was so fascinated with his uncle's uncle, his double uncle, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud. He understood us. He understood people. What makes people move? And then Edward Bernay takes everything that Sigmund Sigmund Floyd uh, learned about the human, and he wrapped it up. My daddy always told me. He said, "You know what the you know what the most powerful weapon there is. Most powerful weapon there is is the ink pen or the pencil. The ink pen can't be erased. The pencil can. The power of the pen." That pen has the power to take your life as fast, fast as a bullet can. That pen can make you suffer. The ink pen. Right now, we got the we 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 got the keys on typewriter. You can just type something out on the internet now and just sign your name to it. But it's still the power of the pen. Information, writing, knowledge. That's what the power is. That's how they sway people. Words. Use your words. That's how they sway people. 
because they know people <coughs> they know people are so lazy they're not going to do the research for themselves they're not going to look into things for themselves and, it, and, and I'm looking at this corona thing and how they just got everybody just scared to come out of the house you go out in public and you cough and people think, oh, Lord, the person got a coronavirus. You watch how, observe how people open doors, open it with their elbows. It's just fascinating to me. Somebody coughing, you think they dropped a nuclear bomb. Now, think about something. Before this corona thing, last year, did anybody get sick last year? Was anybody coughing at their job last year? Was anybody coughing in the stoves last year? Did anybody get the flu last year? How many people died of the flu last year? Or the year before, the year before, the year before? Is this new? Is people coughing new? Huh? I, I don't understand. Is people getting the sniffling? Is sniffling? Sniffling? Is that new? I just don't understand what's going on. I'm not you know, I, I understand what's going on. I understand what's going on. There's something going on that they want you to keep your focus on this corona thing. Why they do what they do on the background. Let me tell you something. The people who are in charge, the few people who's in charge. They know what's going on. Everything is always planned months ahead of time. Everything is planned. Contingencies are put in place months ahead of time. People know what they're going to do. And the only thing that we care about is we just care about our little material things, our little entertainments, and the Kardashians. Well, now, I don't know. Do people look at the Kardashians? I don't know. I don't know. I ain't never look at that stuff. You know. What the stars, the movie stars, that's all that that that's all people care about. Now what flipped me out the other day was they canceled basketball. I was kind of upset about that, the NBA. But they had that boy Rudy, everybody was on that boy Rudy Gobert, that boy for Utah Jazz. I guess they say he was at a press conference and <coughs> he put his hands all over the microphone, all that kind of stuff like that, right? My thing is this. I'm gonna tell you to me, this is how ignorant some of y'all people is out there. How y'all don't think y'all don't y'all y'all don't use y'all minds when y'all analyze everything. Now everybody jumped on that boy, right? Everybody jumped on that that young man. Everybody jumped on that young man because they say he put his hands on the microphone and all that kind of stuff like that, right? My thing of it is this: if y'all, if the media and everybody knew that that boy tested for the Corona number nine virus or whatever that thing is, why the hell y'all had him up there on that podium in the first place talking to him? Why y'all had him on that podium? He shouldn't have been on the podium if the boy if the boy tested for that corona thing and y'all was so concerned about it spreading onto the microphone. If you got a microphone into the kid, he talking in he talking to the microphone. He's spitting on the microphone when he talk. He's breathing on the microphone. And y'all worried about him touching the dang on microphone? That's the most crazy thing about look at they, they go crazy because they say he touched the microphone and he touched the thing. He's sitting up there. He's talking to the microphone. Like I'm talking to the microphone now. Air coming out of my mouth and all that kind of stuff. I'm touching the table. If you're so concerned about it, why the hell you had him up there in the first place? See, that's how I be thinking. See, y'all y'all be looking at B. I'm looking at A. And everybody want to attack the, attack the kid. He got to issue apology. No, what he should have said is, if y'all think that I was so contagious, why you had me up there? I should have never been in on, 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 on answer no questions on no podium. I should have been quarantined right then and there. Not sitting up there asking, answering no press questions. If y'all so afraid of this thing. And what you afraid of me touching it for? I just sit up here for, I don't know how many minutes to talk beside this thing. And on this podium. What, if it's coming out of my mouth, my hands ain't got nothing. It can't nothing come out of my hands. 
but it was on my hands. Most of them come out of my mouth on this microphone and on this table for me talking to y'all. Then they can't me touching something. But it's a distraction. Y'all go back and y'all listen to this thing on Edward Bernay. Analyze what goes on around you. Analyze what goes on around you. Don't be taking sides. Every year people get sick of something. Every year people come down with it's a flu every year. Look back over the past. See y'all, and you got short memories. <coughs> That's another thing. People got short memories. Real short memories. You don't remember last year, you you you, you had you had the flu last year, though. You don't remember that though. You got a cold, you got some last year. You don't remember that, do you? But this year, oh, it's something totally different, huh? People got short memories. But y'all take a look at this propaganda thing. The media machine. It's like when I be looking at these uh, White House, what, what they call them, White House uh, press secretaries who get paid to get up there and spin. You know, these were the, the, these were the people who, who Edward Bernay taught how to get up there and put a spin on everything. In other words, they have to be a psychopathic liar. A press secretary to me got to be a psychopathic liar. Because you got to get up there and lie. You got to get up here and compartmentalize what you really think and tell a lie to billions and billions of people. You got to be a psychopath to do that. Because you know the truth. You know you stand up there lying because they tell you the truth. But you got to put that spin on that because you only, you, when, when you know the truth, in, in order to put a good spin on anything, you got to know the truth. So that's why these press secretaries, they know the truth. But they put this spin on this thing. They got to be psychopath. You know, these advertisers out here, these, 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 these uh, publicists, what do you think a publicist is? A publicist is a propagandist. That's all a publicist is. They study this thing. You got to study human, human behavior, human, human psychology. You know, every year they tell you what color to wear. What's in season? I see people around there, well, you can't wear white this time. Your white is out of season. Who the hell said white was out of season? Well, who made that? Who put it in your stupid head that white is out of season at a certain time? Why? Why is it out of season? What's going to happen if I, if I wear white when white ain't in season? Is, 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 is the tides going to roll high? Is the sun going to fall out the sky? Right? Yeah, am I going to get hit by a parked car? I mean, what? I don't understand this. We let other people dictate to our lives and we follow it because we fear something or we think somebody else right without looking into something. But you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. It's just, it's just this thing that's going on now. Y'all got to look and see what's really going on. You got to see what's really, really going on. And you, and you, and you got to look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. You got to look at the history. You got to look at the economy. You got to look at who who benefits from this. And everything that goes on never benefits the public. It always benefits special interests. Always. Believe you me, this corona scare is benefiting somebody. Now, I told y'all what I think it is. I think it's to slow the economy down for one, and I think it's to teach China less. No, to stop people from buying stuff from China because of this. Because it's so easy to tell, put fear in everybody's heart. And let me tell y'all another thing. Ain't nobody gonna live forever. You ain't gonna get out of this world alive. Whether you... Death is gonna come at some point in time. Be at peace with your life every day. Live as healthy as you can Every day. Now, I said, well, this is from a guy who starts his podcast out by smoking cigars. Yes, I do smoke cigars. I work out every day. I smoke cigar on a Friday. I mean, on Thursday, Friday. Sometime on Saturday, just two times a week. I enjoy a good cigar. But I try, <coughs> but I try to work out. Like today, 
keep my keep 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 my body healthy because that's the only way your body can fight anything these people putting out here is your body healthy as healthy as possible. But to me, in the end, I've already made peace with life. Let me tell y'all something before I end this little hard talk here. I was fortunate enough to be born in this country at a pretty decent time. This country ain't the best. It ain't best by a long shot. This country ain't fair. It ain't fair by a long shot. But let me tell y'all something. I've had excellent opportunity. Because I can look at other countries and situations and see that I could have been born over there. I could have been there. And I could have been there. So I'm not going to complain about the life that I have been blessed to come into. Not by choice. The opportunities that I've had far exceeds a whole lot of people other than myself. I'm very fortunate to be born in America, to deal with the racism in America, to deal with the economics in America, to deal with the poverty in America, to deal with the whatever in America. I would rather deal with America's problems than deal with some of the other problems that I see that I could have been dealt with. So I haven't been dealt a bad head. So one thing I can say is no matter what happened, me personally, I've enjoyed my life. And I appreciate my life. Let me tell you something. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, I definitely ain't trying to die today or tomorrow or next week. But what I'm saying is that Nobody gets out of life alive. If you're fortunate to be born in a country to where bombs ain't dropping on your head every day, where you can go, you can go to your, um, you know, you can go out there to your your bathroom or your or your kitchen and turn that faucet on and water come out. No matter how clean or dirty you say that water is, that water that in America that come out come come out there, you still can drink it. See, that's how they got everybody buying bottled water now. See, they lowered the quality of the water. They used to be water coming out, come, 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 come out, come out your faucet was good, clean water. Now they want you buying water, so they don't take care of the water. You know, these city uh, uh, water plants don't take care of the water like they used to take care of the water now, because they want you buying water now. Because the water company like Coca Cola and some of these other companies now, you know, they charge you just as much for water than they do a soda. Soda just straight water, straight water. They charge you a dollar ninety four for a thing of water. They charge you about dollar ninety four for a soda. And a soda got all these chemicals mixtures in it. Water ain't supposed to ain't got nothing in it. So they lower the quality over on the water, and it got you buying, got us buying water. But we still fortunate enough to be in a country to where we can do that. You see what I'm saying? You go to bed at night for the most part. You go nice people who living in, you know, if you, if you ain't living in no, if you ain't living in a, uh, for the most part, if you you go to bed without bombs dropping on your head. There's no country trying to invade us. When you go to, when you lay your head down at night, there's a good chance you're going to wake up in the morning. If the Grim, if the Grim, if the Grim Reaper don't take it, you got food. Even people that choose not to have a roof over their head, but a cardboard box or living, you still not waking up with bombs on your head. We fortunate over here. No matter you know, all this stuff we go to the racism, I'm, I'm telling you, all that stuff exists. But man, wouldn't you rather deal with it over here than deal with it in some of these other countries that got it worse than you? Cause that's why people are still trying to trying to fight to get over this country. Cause they dealing with some of the stuff that they dealing with in some of these other countries, man, it's horrific. But they say, man, I'd rather go to America and deal with have I'd rather have America problems than have some of the problems here in my own country. But look here, man, I'm through with I'm getting y'all my little speech tonight. 
Now, y'all know what I tell y'all all the time. Support your local cigar spot. Man, you get some of these good CO Brazilians online at CI or Holtz or JR or Corona. You know, you can order you some boxes to put in your humidor. But man, find you a good little cigar spot and you can find some good folks. Y'all can sit there and y'all can talk about stuff that I'm talking about here. And just relax your mind for a few. Okay? Now, everything I said tonight was just my opinion. That's it. It ain't got to be right. It ain't got to be wrong. Just my opinion. That's all. So I'm on the end of like I always tell y'all in life. Y'all take care of everybody out there. But more importantly, y'all take care of y'all self. First. All right now.